This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Here we are on a Thursday. It is One Bills Live, and it is Steve Taster and Chris Brown with you as normal. And uh, we'll get into practice notes in just a second. Um, You know, here we are on the heels of the trade deadline. And Naheem Hines yesterday really couldn't do much in practice because they had to wait for Zach Moss to pass his physical for the trade to become official. So he only got in, like, in the very later stages of practice. So we'll get his first full practice in with the team today because they had to wait on it to become official, which was pending a past physical by Zach Moss and Indy. And it reminded me of a situation, Steve. Back in the... Let me think here. I want to say it was about 2010 or 11, maybe even 12, where the Bills tried to trade John McCargo to the Indianapolis Colts. They failed him on the physical, and he reverted back to the Bills. Oof. Yeah. Uh, so it was a little trepidation, little little butterflies in my stomach yesterday nah. when I heard that. I wasn't worried, but as we know, medical staffs from one team – will pass a guy that maybe another team may not. Here's Met, you know, it's differences of opinion on met by medical I, professionals. You know I what have, I'm saying? I have been told that when I came, when I got picked up off waivers, I had to pass a physical, and the doctor under normal circumstances would not have done it. Oh, he wouldn't have passed you? He would not have passed me. And What didn't he like? My knee injury. Oh. And um, he would not have passed me, and Polian said – you're passing him. Uh, he said, "Go ahead and pass him because if he if he if he gets hurt again, we'll just you know we'll just fix him, you know we'll just <laughs> we'll pay for this, you know." Um, so he said, "Okay." So they passed me and presto changeo, ickety ackety oop. Yeah. So that's it. But yeah, the but the club really wants the guy healthy so they can plug him in, right? So yeah, and these running backs, it is the aside from. Kick returners or Jamokes, you know, like I was, kick coverage guys, even worse. Just plug them in. Yeah. They don't need to, you know, you don't need to get them acclimated or teach them the playbook or anything like that. You know, well, here's the thing catch the ball, and we think you're going to be able to return this ball to the right side of the field. So, but go where you, you know, (laughs) catch it and run where they're not. So, yeah, for Zach Moss and Naheem Hines, you know, plug these guys in. And that's what happened with San Francisco and Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey. Plug the guy in. He he helped his very first game after being there four days. That's where these guys are. So, Naheem Hines out there for a full practice workload. Among the players who we did not see practicing with the team during the media viewing portion of practice, Matt Milano for a second straight day off to the side working with strength and conditioning coaches. He has an oblique muscle injury suffered in last week's game. So he is not dressed with the rest of the team. Neither is Jordan Poyer, uh, who was not seen out there today as well. Both of those guys are considered day-to-day by head coach Sean McDermott. And then the other uh, notable absence was Vaughn Miller. Now, he had a veteran rest day yesterday, and then not out there during the media viewing portion of practice today. So 
it would it would be hard to think it's injury related. He couldn't have gotten injured in practice yesterday because he had a veteran rest day. Right. So maybe something else is is at work there. So we'll try to get to the bottom of that. And I would assume when the Thursday injury report comes out later this afternoon, we'll get more clarity on it. I mean, but, we had to come in, so he may he may show up in the next. Well, 10 yeah, minutes that's possible too. Yeah, too. I mean, that's I, possible too. We weren't out there for the full media viewing portion of practice because we have to get on the air here and do one Bills Live. You know, we've got other responsibilities. Um, but we should get greater clarity on that. Um, the good news is Tremaine Edmonds was out there practicing again. He's he's a little nicked up, too. Um, I'm trying to remember if he was limited or a full part. He was limited in practice yesterday, if I remember right. Here, let me pull the injury report back up from yesterday just so we're all up to speed on this. So he was limited yesterday. He's dealing with a heel injury, but it doesn't sound serious. He's out there practicing again today. So too is Daquan Jones, who was limited in practice. So too is Spencer Brown, who was limited in practice yesterday. And Mitch Morse was back out there yesterday. He's been dealing with an elbow thing uh, since like week four or five. Uh, and he's just kind of working through it. It's in, it's the way it always goes. The, the Early in the week, Wednesday, Thursday, the injury list is – like as long as your arm because you get guys taking veteran rest. You got guys that are just not quite 100% from the game, limited, or don't practice. And then as the week wears on. Yeah. Bill's, Bill's practice updates are presented by LECOM, Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. And Tredavious White, for those that are wondering, back out there practicing again today since he's been added back to the 53-man roster on Wednesday or Tuesday it was um, around the league, Steve, some interesting situations going on with some quote unquote disgruntled players. The Rams are trying to get Cam Akers back in the fold. I think he was hoping he would be traded by the Rams after falling out of favor in the offensive backfield. And apparently there've been conversations back and forth, Sean McVay to Cam Akers, Cam Akers to Sean McVay. And the anticipation is he will be back in the practice setting today. So I guess, I don't know, I guess that's good news for the Rams uh, that they don't have a guy just wasting a roster spot for them. Then you have Brandon Cook, Steve, who was not even in the building leading up to the trade deadline. And he, you don't think he was, was positive he was going to get traded? He was the subject of trade talks. Then he was liking and retweeting every trade rumor under the sun that involved his name. And I was saying to you on Tuesday, Steve, if he doesn't get traded, that's going to get awkward with a capital A. And here we are. Um, Awkward city. So he was the subject of trade rumors for weeks, but nothing, nothing materialized. So now, I mean, he isn't even in the building today, according to NFL Network's Mike Garofolo. Uh, they're playing the Eagles tonight, so yeah. he's not expected to play in this game. Yeah, you think about it. Brandon Cooks is sitting there. He's averaging 11.1 yards of reception this season. That's the lowest since his rookie year in 2014. Uh, he's had 1,000 yards receiving in six of his previous seven, seven years entering this season but he's only on pace for 859 this season. This is a guy who has played really well for a team that has struggled at least recently. Yeah. And he's not happy. He is not happy. No. 
and he's, he's, he's making disappointed he wasn't traded. Well, not only disappointed he wasn't traded, the guy wants out. Yeah. So I think he's – it's, this has got to be more than just a down year for him. Something's going on with Houston that he doesn't like. Well, they're not very good. Uh, they haven't been good for three years. Well, since Deshaun left the building. And he's sitting there, you know, he, he wants out. And they're not letting him. Houston has been a mess with their star players for a while. Yeah, the reason he's so disappointed is because the two teams that were expressing the most interest in him were the Cowboys and the Rams, which most would perceive as better situations than the Texans. And Cooks was actually with the Rams, and they traded him. Um, It's one of the four teams he's already played for. And obviously the Cowboys would be – Interesting situation, a better situation. Yeah, obviously, I mean, the guy's been in some okay situations in his career, or at least different situations, and he knows what he's looking at when he looks at the Houston locker room and their situation. He's he's like, well, get me out. I wonder, I mean, that that, uh, it takes some courage to sit at home while your team's playing games, particularly on a Thursday night football. Um. I thought the Texans were kind of getting it together, Brownie. They said, you know what, Davis Mills, we're going to give him a shot. Yep. We're gonna, but He has been terrible. I mean, he's, he's playing with think about six years an ago, undermanned when, roster. Think, or maybe not six years ago. Think about five years, six years ago when Deshaun Watson was the guy. They said, wow, we got our guy. Yeah, J.J. Watt. They got J.J. Watt. Jadavian Clowney. Jadavian Clowney. And they got uh, Hops, DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Those are s- star players. Phenomenal football players. They're all gone. All gone. And none, you know, only and none of them except for Deshaun left in extenuating circumstance. I mean, they just the, the team absolutely exploded in their face. <laughs> like a bad microwave accident. It, yeah. <laughs> what is going on? And I and some of it, I mean, you can say, you know, well, they got rid of that Bob Nick McNair, Easterby Bob McNair too recently. Bob McNair passed away, so the leadership they were rudderless for a minute. Uh, Cal McNair took over, and and there's got to be a learning curve at that level of football, just like there is at, on the field for young players. And young owners got to you know they got to get acclimated to how they do it. Probably listen to the, a few voices that were probably not the right voices to listen to early going, and now mm-hmm. they've kind of got that settled. Um, now you got another player that's like, man, this is horrible down here. Get me out. You got to think going into this game tonight, that team is going to go up in flames. They're playing an undefeated Philadelphia Eagles team that is on a mission. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. T- it's going to be interesting. Point, take, give the points, bet the under. That, it's my expert opinion that I, I'm not, not even allowed to bet. Okay. Uh, so I have no skin in that game. Don't bet. Don't bet. In fact, bet the opposite of what I sell, tell you to bet. <laughs> Am I right, Brian? Yeah. Lately, uh, Houston is a dumpster fire, and I thought they put it out. No, they're they're going to take forever to. Yeah. I thought they were getting it together, man. They they what are they doing? The Miami Dolphins, who traded a first-round pick away for Bradley Chubb, we were wondering how they were going to pay that guy and how he could not be a rental. He will not be a rental. They signed him to a five-year, $110 million contract. Average annual value, $22 million a year, 
which comes in at, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. It's the sixth highest average annual value contract at the edge rushing position, even ahead of Von Miller, um, whose contract average is 20 a year. Uh, I understand why. He's a 26-year-old player. He's young, yeah. Von Miller is not. But I looked at some of the initial reaction from people in the know after seeing this contract, and they were, they were not wholeheartedly in favor of it for a few reasons. They think he's overpaid. Right. They do believe he is overpaid. Um, that's number one. Number two, um, his most productive seasons as a professional came when he had Von Miller on the other side. Mm -hmm. In the last two seasons, he has missed a total of 11 games, played only seven games last year. He's, he's been healthy for all eight this year. Missed two games in 2020. Missed 12 games in 2019. So there is an injury history there for a young player, which has got to be a concern. And there's also got to be a concern on the part of Dolphins fans as to how they're going to fit all this under the cap. Um, the Dolphins are going to have to pay Jalen Waddell and Tua Tonga-Vailoa in the next calendar year, a big second contract. And I realize that Chubb right now is only a prorated cap hit of 8.2. But going forward, man, um, I think or 7.7, sorry. I think for most – yeah, I think it's a kind of a wait and see. Certainly, Chubb is a young pass rusher, up and coming. Had his best years when he had another Hall of Fame caliber guy on the other side. But who wouldn't? Right. The question is, how good will he be with Jalen Phillips on the other side of him, um, or Emmanuel Ogba, or depending Ogba. on who it is? And they already they already gave Ogba big money. The Dolphins seem to be on the L.A. Rams way of building a team. Right? It would appear so. Which means they pay the top end of their roster big money and fill in as best they can below the, the top echelon of, of guys. The Jets, another division opponent of the Bills, are building a little bit like the Buffalo Bills are. Through the draft, get value for every pick. And the Bills, on the other more so than the Jets, are getting a lot of guys every year on one-year prove-it deals, giving them a chance to swing at – you know, take a big swing in free agency the next year with the Bills or with somebody else. The Bills try and pay the guys they grew, a la Matt Milano, Tredavious White, and uh, Dawson Knox and the like, uh, Taron Johnson. Uh, they're trying to build the middle of their roster and keep the guys they develop and pay them reasonable salaries, although good. And it's just, it seems, I mean, you can't argue with what happened to the Rams. But I would argue 
Tua is not Matt Stafford and Chubb is not Aaron Donald. They've just restructured a lot of stuff already. I mean, they restructured Xavier Howard's contract, five years, $90 million. I know they have an out in that contract for 2024. Uh, 2024 is a long way off. That's when his money balloons to like $25 million on the cap a year, and he starts making fifteen four in base salary. That's one guy. Um, I realize you can get Gasicki off your books. You save $10 million there. He's playing on the franchise tag, and he's not going to be back there next year. Um, they're going to have to cut some high-priced people. And then you've also got Tyreek Hill's contract. Let's not forget that. Uh, and the money you paid him, that money starts getting fat um, if the, next year when his cap hit is $31.2 million. I get it. Here's what happens, though, too. Think about this, Brownie. If, if the Dolphins hang in, they're at the sixth seed right now. Jets are at the five seed. If, if they make the playoffs and you got to pay the quarterback for a playoff team, yeah. dude, you're on the hook. Well – as we've seen, most of these quarterbacks, if they prove themselves to any degree and qualify for the postseason after their third year, they're looking for the second contract. Kyler Murray. Well, Kyler Murray's an exaggerated. Uh, well, he finished ex- three years. His team made the playoffs. He said, give me my money. The day. And they did it. The day he was able. And that yeah. was after going 0-1-8 and and to end the season. And you could argue, too, his agent's not doing his job unless he does the same thing. That's right. That's right. So you got to put the pressure on the club. So where are we there? You, you got to put you're the pressure have on to, the club. You have to figure that and one that's out. That's when you really find out what the club's made of and if they really believe all the nice things they've been saying about Tua. So you paid Tyreek, you paid Chubb, you paid Xavier Howard, you paid Byron Jones, you paid Emmanuel Ogba. You're going to have to pay Tua, you're going to have to pay Waddle. Yeah. So Waddle has played as well at his position as Tua has at his. If not better. Probably better. So <laughs> the thing is, how – and if you're the Dolphins, you're asking yourself this. Could we get the same offensive production with this roster and Baker Mayfield taking snaps rather than Tua? Yeah. Think about that. Or, or they're not Jacoby, or Jacoby Brissett. For quarterback for so long. Or Jacoby Brissett. And two is playing well. He's the highest rated quarterback in football. How well do you have to play at that spot with that roster around you? With Waddle and the rest of those guys, Tyreek. How well do you have to play? Yeah. That's, a, that's the question. Now, I get it. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is three and five with Cleveland with that roster, but that offensive roster is not as good as the Dolphins' offensive roster. Yeah. And the Dol- the Dolphins are sitting there, you know, the Dolphins are sitting there at their record at at uh, five and three instead of three and five. I don't know. I I know Miami fans are giddy about the Dolphins right now with Tua. They're and they're I told you sowing the Bills big time. Because we were all poo poo and Tua, right? Poo poo and Tua is that a is that a chant? I you you can make it whatever you want, yeah. Steve. I'm just saying, Bills fans, I think for the most part are licking their chops for another shot at the Dolphins. 
Yeah. Oh, I, oh, they're, that game's circled. I, I, don't worry that, about it. Yeah. There's no excuse for the Bills not showing up in an enormous way in that game. They've got to want a piece of those guys. Yeah. News out of uh, the Jets, much has been made naturally about the quarterback situation, not just that Zach Wilson has, is coming off a poor game with three interceptions last week, but that Joe Flacco got demoted to third string. And Mike White is now the backup quarterback behind Zach Wilson. Flacco naturally said he was surprised and disappointed to be demoted. Blah, 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 blah. If we remember, Mike White actually played against the Bills once last year, and it was not pretty. A steaming pile of you know what. So, though, so there's that. Geno Smith, quarterback of the Seahawks, Steve. Your October. Offensive Player of the Month. Bless his heart. Doing a heck of a job up there. Is Seattle laughing all the way to the draft bank? I think think they are after getting five picks. I think so. From the Broncos. They, yeah, that's, Pete Carroll, you can say what you want about him. The guy can build a team and he can coach. He's got a lot of energy. His players like him. They play hard for him. And Geno Smith, they had him on their roster, so they knew what they had. And, they knew what they were looking at. Uh, you know, that game, This is we're seeing some highlights of the opening game against the Denver Broncos where Geno beat Russ in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Geno is who they thought he was in, th- who they thought he was in New York after sitting behind Russ Wilson for however many years it's been. Just last year, I think it was. Maybe two years. I think it's been more than that, yeah. Um, yeah, good for him. Some sad news to pass along in the NFL. Hall of Famer Ray Guy, longtime punter of the Raiders, has uh, passed away at the age of 73 following a lengthy illness. So, sorry to hear that. Um, the first special teamer to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, Kind of a predecessor in your area of expertise, Steve. Yeah. He was he was Mr. Consistency, wasn't he? Unbelievable. Took, him, took forever. I think he got in very near the end of his eligibility. Um, Well-deserved. Yeah, I think he got in as a Veterans Committee nominee. He was a, uh, a first-round draft pick as a punter. He was a, he was a tremendous athlete. Um, not He wasn't just a punter. He was a tremendous athlete. And he, let's face it, Ray Guy, for an entire generation or two of NFL aspiring NFL players, yeah. Ray Guy made it cool to be a punter and uh, made, it, made it widely known that a punter was a, could, was a big contributor, could right. be a really big contributor. And it, and it made it attractive for guys uh, out there who you know, guys wanted to learn how to do it. Um, he's responsible for that large in large measure now you've got a whole generation of guys who grew up watching him and now you know gray's numbers for as good as he was his numbers are very ordinary ordinary compared to the guys he's you got guys like i remember even 10 12 years ago steve if a punter netted 40 that was like a magic threshold number it was you like couldn't bat, get it, done. it was like batting 300 it was like my batting entire career in my entire career you couldn't do it yeah it was not possible. I mean, yeah. That was a that was a holy grail. Now, so when, during Brian Mormon's career here in Buffalo, if you netted forty yards, 
you're near the top of the league. Now you've got 15 guys doing right. it. That's exactly right. It's like, wow, and 40, that's nice. That, to me, Ray Guy is, res- is as much responsible for inspiring an entire generation of guys to be better than him um, that we're seeing now. Yeah. The league has taken on that position. Um, yes, his numbers do not stack up to the current day punters. But he's one of the but reasons there are new standards now. He's, he inspired them yeah. to come in and take that up and, and to take that position seriously and, and make it their own. And, they, and a ton of guys have. And Ray Guy, uh, rest in peace, he's, he deserves the accolades that he got and deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. One last note, uh, the Bills – as you remember, earlier this week, with all of their roster shuffling, had to move people off their roster to make room for Tredavious White, to make room for the return of Dean Marlowe. The, Ni- the Naheem Hines trade was kind of a swap for roster spots. Basically, Naheem Hines on the roster, Zach Moss off the roster. So that was a wash. But they needed to make, a ro- move, make room for Tredavious White moving on to the active roster from Reserve PUP and to make room for Dean Marlowe on the roster. So they released... Defensive tackle Brandon Bryant, and they released wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins. Well, the New York Giants claimed Isaiah Hodgins off waivers, and he is now a New York Giant. The Giants injury riddled at the wide receiver position. They needed help. Hodgins knows Brian Dable's offense, so over he goes. He is a New York Giant now, Um, so good luck to him. And that is Around the NFL, presented by Collada Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. We want to turn now, though, to a new segment called Sound Bits. And it's presented by Tim Hortons, as you will get an opportunity to hear from Naheem Hines, Sean McDermott, and Brandon Bean, as the newly acquired running back has now joined the team. He's getting his first full practice in here on Thursday. Super excited, uh, you know, I'm thankful for any opportunity, but I'm super excited when, you know, the team that's training for you is 6-1, has a great quarterback and a high-powered offense. It's like, you know, it's like, how could you lose? So uh, for me, uh, it's just not really proven to the world, uh, the trade or anything. It's proven to my teammates, proven to my coaches, and that's, that's my goal, to come out here, work my butt off, fit in. He's more of a guy that's just a a weapon with the ball in his hand, whether it's a punt returner, kick returner, as a receiver. Um, He runs jet sweeps. He runs the wildcat. Um, So we just felt this was a chance to add another guy that Ken Dorsey and Josh and the crew can use, you know, just as another offensive piece. And again, um, helps us as a punt returner too. Uh, You know, the skill set is is what you've seen. We've played against him a few times in 20 and then again in 21 and um, had a respect for what he was able to do on the field. And um, you hear a lot about him just in terms of the person that he is, the type of person and how smart he is and then the way he plays the game. It's a great opportunity just going out there and seeing all those playmakers just watching for the first time uh, in practice is crazy. And uh, it's high-powered offense. And um, I just want to help this, help this offense become more high-powered. And, bring some sort of speed and versatility uh, to this offense. we got a lot of great playmakers, and I hope to be a guy who helps. We've played against them a couple times, and he always always shows up in those games, and it's, he's always got one or two plays that are just like help help change the, the course of the game. Um, but again, just trying to figure out ways to to get him on the field, and I'm not really sure how we're going to do it yet. Uh, it's, that's up to Dorsey and the staff. 
Um, but again, just adds another element um, to our offense, and you know we're excited to have him. I seen him today take off a little bit, and I wasn't even you know I was oh man he's quick and fast. So um, I'm sure he's gonna help. He's gonna help a lot. He's gonna bring a um, a lot to to the offense. He's gonna bring a lot with his speed and quickness and his change in direction. That is insane. Like I said, I saw him doing a little bit today, and it was kind of mind blowing. So I'm excited to watch him more. Just look at that as a new opportunity, uh, new beginnings, and. Uh, New beginnings on a great team, and my job is just coming here and buy into the culture and try to help this great team win. That's all I'm focused on. That is Sound Bits, presented by Tim Hortons. Get the app, get rewards. Uh, we have to take a break here, but speaking of Naheem Hines, he is the subject of our Twitter conversation, at least in part, as we are asking you today, who or what will have a bigger impact on the Bills? The return of Tredavious White or Naheem Hines' addition to the offense? You can let us know at 803-0550, or on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Trey White is leading the voting by a wide margin in the early going. We'll check in on the poll a little bit later. We have to take a break now because when we return, we're going to be joined by ESPN fantasy football expert, Field Yates, who has his ultimate fantasy lineup for us for Week 9, presented by FanDuel. It's coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and it is time. That time in the week. You're getting your lineups ready, and we got a guy to help you. ESPN fantasy football expert. Well, he's an NFL reporter extraordinaire. It is one Field Yates joining us as he does every week, and his ultimate fantasy lineup is presented by FanDuel. Field, what do you got for us for Week 9? First of all, gentlemen, good to be back with you, and always looking forward to our conversations here on usually Thursday afternoon. Let's start at quarterback, as we always do, and let's go down to Atlanta this week where the Chargers are making the cross-country flight to play the Falcons. The Chargers are coming off of their bye, and... I need to be very clear here at the beginning of this. Uh, a lot of things can change based off injuries, but Justin Herbert at $7,800 has a juicy, juicy matchup on tap. The Falcons extremely limited at cornerback this season. Casey Hayward is now on IR. A.J. Terrell, who's previously been an all-pro level player, has been banged up and not as effective. The team made a move for Rashad Fenton at the trade deadline he, previously of the Chiefs, had basically been benched because of their rookie cornerbacks who were making improvements. So I think this is a good opportunity here for Justin Herbert coming out of his bye to have a productive Sunday. But there's a caveat that I'll mention in just a few more moments that will make things make more sense. All right, then let's move on to the running backs. You get, I noticed this on your entire roster. You really didn't pop the bank on any one guy like you have in the past. These are all guys that seem to get value for the price, correct? That's right, Steve. Well, not all of us can afford a Steve Tasker in our life. we got to go value shopping every you are once correct. in a while. He is That's not cheap, I'll tell you. It's a keen observation by you. I'm aware. I'm aware. Uh, so Raheem Mostert is my pick one at running back. He's priced at $6,500. The team just made a move to acquire Jeff Wilson Jr. while trading away Chase Edmonds. I think that Wilson Jr. for this week especially is just a backup to – uh, Raheem Mostert. He should know most of the run concepts because of his familiarity with Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins head coach, but most has been so good of late. And the Bears run defense hasn't been a strength so far this season. You figure without Robert Quinn and most recently Roquan Smith, 
going to be harder to defend the run as well. And then Aaron Jones gets really the best matchup right now going, which is the Detroit Lions, who are just a mess defensively. They recently hired, excuse me, fired their defensive back coach, Aubrey Pleasant, but it's not like the defensive line has been a whole lot better. Aaron Jones has been the central piece of the Packers offense, kind of the only guy you can rely upon right now in fantasy. He's priced at $7,800. He's taking command over A.J. Dillon in recent weeks. All right, I think this is where your caveat comes in regarding Justin Herbert, and the only reason I know that is because I've had this guy on my roster this year, and he has been a colossal disappointment due to a hamstring injury that still appears to be an issue even off of the Chargers' bye. That's correct, Brownie. And both Monday and Wednesday, wide receiver Keenan Allen was not available for practice for the Chargers, and then he said on Wednesday, well, it was evening over here on the East Coast, but afternoon in L.A., he said basically – Whenever I come back, I'm coming back 100%, not almost there, 80%, 90%, 99%. I'm coming back 100% because it sounds like basically coming back a little bit early may have contributed to a setback for Keenan Allen. That kind of comment is not typically the kind of comment that you make when you're expecting to play four days later. So Keenan Allen may not be available on Sunday against the Falcons, but the matchup is so great. I just mentioned why it's so great for Justin Herbert. Everything applies there for Keenan Allen as well. The good news is that if you have to pivot, there are a lot of good options at $7,500 or $7,800 or less because we did leave $300 in the bank this week. All right. And it moves down to Chris uh, Chris Godwin uh, moving out to versus the L.A. Rams. Yeah, guys. And what's going on with the Bucs to offense right now? Oh. You know, if you look at the raw passing number for Tom Brady, there are some really good ones. Number two in total passing attempts, right there in the top five in passing yards, but middle of the pack in terms of passing touchdowns. And why that matters is that, you know, sometimes touchdown passes can be a little bit lucky and unlucky. And it feels like Brady right now in the Buccaneers just can't finish drives. Is that going to sustain over the course of the year? I don't think it does. This Rams defense has really good individual talent, but the cornerbacks don't match up on individual wide receivers. Not like they say, okay, Jalen Ramsey, you're going to play the number one wide receiver for the opposing team. You guys saw this team all the way back in week one. The Bills torched them in the second half. So a reasonable enough matchup gets Godwin into my lineup. He has been so heavily targeted since his return. And then Rondell Moore is my other wide receiver here. Rondell Moore, uh, you guys remember a few weeks back, we wanted as much of that Seahawks-Cardinals game as we could get. Didn't play out like we expected. I think a different Sunday is on tap as they play in Arizona this Sunday afternoon for their second matchup of the season. Moore has a 25-plus yard catch in each of the past four games. Obviously, no Hollywood Brown still. They're looking for answers amongst their wide receivers. To me, Rondell Moore, a reasonable value. He's got eight or more targets in three of his past four days. Three of his past four games, excuse me. Yeah. All right, moving on to tight end and flex. You're you're dipping into that Arizona-Seattle game once again with your flex, but maybe yeah. just square away your tight end choice first. That's right. Evan Ingram, who was good last week for the Jaguars, had that really nice touchdown grab in London. You know, I'm used to the days where a team played in London and they had a bye right away after it, but that's not the case anymore as the Jaguars will return home. They'll play host to the Raiders, who are just a mess right now. Hard to figure out exactly what's taking place in Vegas, but they have been very generous to opposing tight ends. Third worst, specifically, in fantasy football this year. So Evan Ingram slides into my flex at $5,200. Six teams on a buy, as you guys know, this week. So a lot of options not available there. And then my flex option is Tyler Lockett. 
of course, we just mentioned, part of that Seattle-Arizona game that we want as much of as we can get. Byron Murphy's been a nice story for the Arizona Cardinals. He did a good job locking down opposing wide receivers, kept Cooper Cup in check, which you know he and Stephon Diggs are about as formidable of a challenge as there is right now amongst NFL wide receivers. And if he takes Tyler uh, DK Metcalf, that should free some space for Tyler Lockett to be a busy number two wide receiver for Seattle on Sunday in this game that I think I think will be higher scoring than the last time. All right, and then the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, you're taking the yeah. Bucks defense in that in that matchup. Yeah, and paying up a little bit here, guys, as they're priced at four thousand seven hundred dollars more than I normally spend. But the Rams. Who would have guessed this? that the Rams are the best matchup for opposing fantasy defenses this season. You wouldn't have thought that, right? I mean, Matthew Stafford had 41 touchdown passes last year. Cooper Cup had one of the five best wide receiver regular seasons of all time. I mean, just a ridiculous turn of events here for the Rams and the Bucks and the Packers, the Broncos, with Russell Wilson. As you are seeing, there are a lot of teams that are not playing to expectations this year. Then you've got teams like the Bills that are just absolute wagons. All right, that is Ultimate Fantasy Lineup for Week 9, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more from ESPN's Field Yates. Quick uh, thoughts on Bill's Jets uh, field, which is going to most of the country this week. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I think the Bills, I mean, I'll say this. The the Jets' defense is impressive. They've got really good players up front. They kind of rush from all angles. They've got edge rushers. They've got interior pass rushers like Jonathan Franklin Myers and also Obviously, Quinn and Williams just named the AFC Defensive Player of the Month for October. They've got good cover corners, good linebacker. I mean, they're good everywhere on defense. Uh, offensively, they're very limited. Now, I know Josh had some, uh, I thought, insightful remarks uh, about Zach Wilson to Kyle Brandt and his uh, new show, which obviously Josh has been a big part of. Um, but I do think this, this, this Jets offense, you know, it just it's they're going to give you one, maybe more. And it's a matter whether you take it uh, turnover-wise. So I do think the Bills are deservedly big favorites in this game. I think they run over the Jets. And I, I just don't know that the Jets have nearly the horsepower to hang with the Bills. They might give them a bit of fits early, but the Bills certainly the better team on paper. I think they will prove that on Sunday. Good stuff. Thank you, Field. Appreciate it. It's good seeing you again. All right, guys. We'll do it again next week. All right. We'll see you then for week 10. That is ESPN fantasy football expert Field Yates joining us here on One Bills Live with his weekly ultimate fantasy lineup presented by FanDuel. Um, my team finally got off the schneid last week, Steve. It is the worst first half of a season I've ever experienced in fantasy. Finally got a win. So I didn't go over. Uh, I had like two guys injured that were out that I didn't know about and I had two guys Aye. and three guys on by I was like and I, I was asleep at the wheel let's put oh, it that way dear. And it ownership looked, issues yeah it, it very much <laughs> so my GM has been fired that's right and his evil twin will now take over gotcha yeah. uh, we're going to take a break here when we come back we'll get some of your thoughts on the tweet sheet concerning our question of the day which is which will have a bigger impact on the bills Tredavious White's return to the lineup or Naheem Hines' addition to the offense? You let us know at 803-0550, or hit us up on the tweet sheet. We're back in a couple of minutes here on One Bills Live.
want to join Josh Allen in Kyle Brandt's basement starting Tuesday, November 1st through the month of November. Fans who purchase Bill's Mafia Sausage or Rubs at Wegmans with their Shoppers Club membership will be entered to join Josh on Kyle's podcast at some point in December. And don't forget, proceeds from Bill's Mafia Sauces and Rubs go directly to the Patricia Allen Fund at Oshai Children's Hospital. Should be pretty good. I got to uh, recommend a movie uh, because Kyle always gives Josh a movie-watching assignment. And I want to recommend The Usual Suspects. Did you ever see that movie? Kaiser Sose, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, it's a great one, man. Twist at the end, it's really good. I think he would eat it up. So hopefully he hasn't seen it. I may recommend it to him. Yeah. See what they say. Suspects is a good one. The Departed is a good one. Kaiser Soze. He's gone. (laughs) So good. So good. Um, Okay, we were discussing our topic of the day, which is which will have a bigger impact on the Bills. Tredavious White's return or Naheem Hines' addition to the offense? And, yeah, are they two unknowns right now? Sure. You have a track record of what Tredavious White provides for this defense. You have that to go on. Naheem Hines is kind of an unknown factor. You know what his skill set is. You know what he's capable of. But how are the offensive coaches going to use him is the question, or special teams coaches for that matter, as I think there's a good chance we may see him on punt return this week. Absolutely. The things he brings to it, you've heard the, the stuff coming out of the, the Bills locker room. They get, wow, he's fast kind of talk. So it's a perfect spot for him to go back and return kicks and, and use that speed to the Bills' advantage. Also, I think he brings something that Khalil Shakir doesn't. Khalil Shakir is not a fast, darting return guy. He's a, he's a route runner, a possession-type receiver. Naheem Hines is an athlete. And those are the guys you want catching kicks. Right. Let's go to the tweet sheet to see what you think. And tweet sheet, as always, brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. (laughs) Uh, Jeremy says, I voted Hines because I feel he is the missing spark the backfield needs. Although having Trey back is amazing, that's not part of the field I'm worried about at the moment. And I'm guessing that's because there was some – unexpected depth at the position now in the form of Christian Benford and Kyir Elam in addition to Dane Jackson. And so people aren't like, oh, my gosh, we got to get Trey back in the lineup or we're cooked. They're doing all right back there. Yeah. And maybe that is what's leading some people to pick Hines, although in the early voting it was heavily in favor of Trey's return. So, Right. Yeah. I Make of it what you I'm will. I'm kind of right in there. I, I think – I'm not really worried about the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And I I mean, Trey White's going to be fun to see him. We all love him and stuff. But the, the thing that we need or haven't had is a guy in the backfield who's a home run um, or a home run anytime he hits the ball. Now, we certainly, you know, uh, you can make your case for Isaiah McKenzie or whatever, but the speed that Naheem Hines brings to the field is going to be big. It makes the entire offense faster because it's one more guy like an Isaiah McKenzie that can get out there and outrun people. That's a huge difference maker. And I think that's something that the Bills haven't had. Now, we've seen Trey White in this defense before, and certainly he was in there last year, and they were number one, and they're number one again. So I'm I, with Christian Benford and Kair Elam and Dane Jackson, let alone Trey White and Levi Wallace. 
so I'm I'm excited, you know, about the diff- the new guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, for me, so I'm that's where I'm at. I'm kind of in the on the other side of the coin here with our poll that's eighty twenty. Yeah, the funny thing is the poll is eighty twenty in favor of Trey, <clears throat> and we're seeing something similar here on the tweet sheet, because Stan says, we're getting Trey back around the trade deadline, and even though we didn't trade for him, it's like they did. He's coming back hopefully this week or next week, and he's going to add that juice for the defense. Go Bills. I mean, listen, he's a free addition. We've been without him, and all of a sudden it's just like Preston Yeah, he almost feels like a luxury. Yeah, he pulled him out of a hat, right? Oh, we get an all-pro corner? Yeah, look at that. (laughs) Wow. Talk about coming up aces. Hooray for us and bad for you. You know, so good. Mark's uh, sentiments are similar on the tweet sheet. Trey is an all-pro cornerback. Our defense will be noticeably better. That is saying something since it is already top three. Trey Day is back. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I mean, sure. I just – everybody's convinced they're going to be so, so much better. And I'm sitting here saying, well, they're already number one in, like, points allowed. Right. You know, yards per play. I mean, I'm, look, is he an upgrade over the rookies? Absolutely he is. But there's not much more place to go up from here, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the defense is already playing at a high level. And we've all talked like, hey, with Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam and Dane Jackson playing the way they are, no need to hurry him back. And I'm sure the Bills coaching staff feels the same way. They'd love to have the guy out there because you trust him, you love him. He brings an, an attitude and a joy to the game, and the, the players around him will love it. But the production has been there. And the team's getting interceptions. I mean, everything. Yeah. So you're better with – like I always say, better players make you better. And he's better. Yeah. But I think Naheem Hines is better too. It'll be interesting to see – what happens. That's why Jason, with this comment, kind of split the difference. He said, our DBs have done an admirable job, but they are not Trey. Our offense was already scary. However, I believe both will have noticeable impacts. I, I think the harder assimilation is clearly with Hines, not only because he's new to the team, but he's a new element for the offense to figure out how to use him. They know what his skill set is, but where is he most effective? What kinds of play calls, you know, is he supremely effective at? Maybe he's got an extra sixth sense, you know, on certain types of plays where he just has a better feel and execution uh, than maybe on some other play calls. And they'll probably talk to him about, hey, you feel good about that? What do you think about that? Like coaches are always doing that give and take, right? Experience is a unique skill. And it is a skill. I mean, the memory you have, the the experiences you have, or something that Trey's got that these other guys don't. Um, those come in handy once in a while. I mean, it's not something you can lean on and live with if you if you don't have the physicality. But Trey's can help guys out yeah. there, um, particularly when you've got everybody out there's young. And let's let's face it, we thought the defensive secondary was going to be Trey White, Dane Jackson, Taron Johnson, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Poyer. You go down that list, you're missing three of them. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. That's rough. I get it. Um, Yeah. The one thing I thought about Hines in terms of his assimilation to the offense, this is a guy that's had to get used to playing with new quarterbacks before. He's had a new one almost every year he's been in Indy. So getting used to Josh, 
he's been there and done that. So yeah. I'm hoping it happens quickly for him since yeah. he's done it before. And I, I think you can count on a guy like Hines to improve week on week yeah. upon week, you know, get better in this offense, you know, gain more confidence, gain more knowledge, gain more comfort with, and having guys do that for him as well. Yeah. Break time for us here. When we return, we are going to talk a little Jets. We check in with NewYorkJets.com senior reporter Eric Allen to get an update on just what has made this defense for the Jets top 10 and what the heck is going on with Zach Wilson. We'll find out next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Here we are for hour number two. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is your program. And there is more news afoot concerning the Washington Commanders. We saw the news yesterday or the day before as owner Daniel Snyder is reportedly looking into options to potentially sell the franchise. Of course, the very next, later in the same day, Another report comes out that federal prosecutors are looking into financial improprieties of the organization. Can't imagine why you'd want to sell. Um, and now there is this. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is looking into buying the Washington commanders, according to reports. This is not surprising. He was kind of in the early bidding for the Denver Broncos and is intrigued by NFL ownership. And why wouldn't you, if you're a billionaire, to get 23% annual return on your investment? So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I don't know if anyone can outbid that guy. No. Um, it's interesting, though. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, <clears throat> this isn't even like – this is more like a long weekend in Vegas. Yeah, for pocket him. change. Yeah, his, <clears throat> he could swing this if he wants to, and that's all it is. And now – it comes down to two or three, two questions. One, will he buy the entire team, lock, stock, and barrel? Will is that what Schneider's thinking about doing, or is he thinking about buying, you know, selling some of it? We still don't know what the terms are going to be, and how big a number is it going to be? Wow, the specifics of it. Because if Bezos says, "Okay, I want to buy it," it's going to happen. What are the terms? The Walton family, owners of Walmart along with the Penner Group, just bought the Broncos for $4.65 million. Billion. Or a million. billion, sorry. It's a hard thing to get Four, I, I can't think that big, <laughs> not with my portfolio. Um, $4.65 billion the, Bron the Broncos were sold for. This one, in a major market like Washington, along with the fact that historically – the Washington franchise is one of has one of the top five valuations in the entire league, and that's with a behind only teams like Dallas, the Rams, yeah, the Patriots. And that's with an atrocity of a stadium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a, and a stadium that is that's it's 
in my mind, in a lot of ways, it's worse than Highmark, and it's way newer. Right. Uh, different style of, uh, and all that, but it's it's bad. I'm sure everybody knows that Jeff Bezos owns Amazon, but he also owns the Washington Post. Now, that would be an interesting dynamic, would it not? Trying to report objectively on the team your owner owns? <laughs> it would be Listen, interesting. Don't we report objectively on the team? Our well, team? we try our best, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, who cares? You know, I mean, yeah. So that's interesting. I'd be, be uh, curious to see Here's where that leads and if any other people jump a, into the bidding. They will have, when they want a new stadium... They're going to have a mouthpiece in the New York Post or Washington, Washington Post. Post. Yeah, you know, you don't think they're going to get a daily dose of why and the yeah, Red daily Spins pressure, right? Put their feet to the fire. Let's go, municipal people. Let's all you get people, her done. Public money. All you things. Although Bezos could probably build a stadium himself, you know, without even blinking. He could build it. Put himself. his name on he the stadium. Build him, he could build it himself and then charge the. He could get, go back and get money. He would later. be just fine. He'll go back and get money. Privately building it. Plus, he would get G4 money from the league to help, you know, finance it and whatever. So, yeah, yeah not an issue not at an all issue. for a guy like that. Uh, we do want to uh, turn now to NewYorkJets.com senior reporter Eric Allen as he is going to bring us up to speed on just what is going on down there. With the 5-3 and three New York Jets. Tough loss last week in the division to the New England Patriots thanks to three turnovers from Zach Wilson. But nevertheless, two games above 500 and very interested in the challenge that the Bills offer on a head-to-head perspective. So without any further ado, here is Eric Allen. Okay, Eric, we want to start here. The Jets have a top 10 defense. They are legit on that side of the ball. And it's hard for me not to see a little bit of a copycat model in terms of how the Bills kind of put their defense together. They get two veteran safeties in the fold in free agency this past year to kind of settle things on the back end. And they invested heavily in their defensive line, which now runs like a seven or an eight man rotation. And those were two critical components of what turned the Bills into a top-flight defense in this league. Um, what have been – let's start with the safeties there. What have been the uh, returns on getting two veteran safeties in the fold to kind of settle things down and get consistent play on the back end? Well, Bronny, you're right. There are a lot of parallels here. I mean, schematically, they play different styles, but in terms of rushing four and then flooding the back end with seven, both these teams do that. And the Jets wanted to do that ever since Robert Sala was hired here, and they have the personnel now uh, to really get after people. You talk about the safety position. What has really happened is, the dynamic at cornerback has flipped dramatically for the Jets with the drafting of Sauce Gardner and then an addition of DJ Reed. These guys are becoming uh, one of the better pairs in the National Football League. So that has allowed these safeties, Jordan Whitehead and LaMarcus Joyner, to play a little bit more free, help the linebackers in coverage, sometimes play just single high if they want to because they feel so comfortable with Reed and Sauce Gardner on the outside. 
Uh, the Jets have very good players on all three levels of this defense, starting with Quinnen Williams there in the middle. AFC Defensive Player of the Week from that defensive tackle position, six sacks, 16 quarterback pressures. I mean, 16 quarterback hits, 28 quarterback pressures. The guy has been all over the field, unblockable this season. He is often facing double teams, triple teams. C.J. Mosley um, there in the middle of the defense, the Mike linebacker. He's off to a great start again. He had 13 tackles last week against the New England Patriots. But I think for this defense right now, the dynamic has changed in the outside. So you have a lot of freedom for your safeties to different things and help out elsewhere. Yeah, no question. The turnaround has been remarkable from the outside looking in. And it has happened, like you say, at both ends of the defense, both up front with Quinnen Williams and the rest at C.J. Mosley, but also the corner. And, of course, Sauce Gardner is going to get a lot of attention, but D.J. Reed has also played extremely well. That has really been the engine for the Jets' hot start, has it not, The is the defensive side? Yes. Uh, you know, they said it the other day. Joe Douglas and Robert Sala both spoke to the media. Douglas, this was the first time he's talked to the media this season after the Jets' 5-3 and three start. Listen, the Jets are going to be a tough all out against anybody in the National Football League if they protect the football uh, because their defense is playing at elite level and their special teams up until last week, I thought had been off to at least one of the top starts in the league, maybe the best start in the league overall. Last week against the Patriots, they did not play up to their standard, and they turned the football over three times, Zach Wilson with the three interceptions. But if the Jets protect the football, they're going to be in the game against anybody. Speaking of that, Steve, the Jets 4-0 in plus differential. Uh, they're 4-0 in games where they're plus in the uh, turnover differential. They're 0-3 when they're minus. Um, and then in the game they were even, they actually won that game as well. So for the Jets, it's all about protecting the football offensively and then uh, letting your defense do work because they're handling themselves just fine. On the back end, Eric, defensively, has DJ Reed been holding up so well that they just have him and Sauce play their sides? Or does Sauce has Sauce in any one game followed the other team's wide receiver want? No, they feel quite comfortable with DJ Reed, so he does not move. So you're not going to see him move uh, to Diggs' side. I know Diggs is sometimes going to be put in that slot position. We all yep. know that because the, Jet, uh, the Bills do such a great job of moving their playmakers around. But uh, DJ Reed himself is having a great year, so they don't travel. Uh, they feel comfortable with the matchups on the outside. Uh, and again, these guys are allowing them to do very creative things in the defensive backfield. Let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. And of course, Zach Wilson is his own conversation. Let's start with the with Brees Hall and the kind of difference he was making before the injury and what the Jets' plan is now. Steve, he was outstanding. He was averaging 6.9 yards a touch uh, against the Denver Broncos. He had a long scoring run. He was an explosive play waiting to happen. A rare skill set because a big guy who could catch the ball out of the backfield, but he's a long strider with a sub 4-4 speed. So when he came out of Iowa State, I think people thought they looked at his production and said, okay, well, this guy's a big back, uh, and maybe he's not going to be that kind of a big play weapon on the next level. But he proved himself to be that here early in his career. 
and it, the Jets expect him to come back healthy in 2023. And he could make you could make the argument he was the best Jets offensive player during their first seven games. This offense is in transition right now because not only is Brees Hall out for the season, but the Jets' top offensive lineman was Elijah Vera Tucker. He started three different uh, positions early this year. He's also out for the year. And then last week against the Patriots, Corey Davis, who is the Jets' most complete receiver in terms of catching the ball, but also being a run blocker, a big-bodied guy on the outside, He was dealing with knee soreness, so he didn't play against the Patriots. Uh, We'll have to watch his status throughout the week. So right now the Jets are in transition. Uh, You mentioned specifically about the offensive backfield. This team has full confidence in Michael Carter. Uh, He's the guy who led the team in rushing last year, also has good hands out of the backfield. And then, of course, before the trade deadline, they acquire James Robinson from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Robinson got his feet wet last week against the Patriots. I would anticipate uh, the Jets trying to get him going more because last week what really stood out to me was they put the ball in Zach Wilson's hands 41 times. He only had 15 rush attempts. That is not a ratio that's going to work for the Jets to win. All right. We've gone this long, and we haven't talked Zach Wilson yet, and we know that it's been very up and down again this season. Obviously, without Brees Hall, that puts even more of a burden on him, even though you have Michael Carter and you have James Robinson. The thing that I notice, and I don't know if this has been addressed by you guys at Jets.com or with the media, with the coaches, but it seems as though whenever he feels pressure, his eyes drop and he's not looking down the field anymore and it just becomes a scramble drill. Um, what, what have been the things holding his play back, do you think, more than anything, Eric? Well, there's a couple things at play here. He is 4-1 as a starter, so we got to say that first. And when he's protected the football, the Jets have won. The previous three games entering that matchup against the Patriots, he had a clean statistical sheet, no interceptions, no fumbles, and the Jets won the ball game. Um, I do think, Zach, as you mentioned, everybody can see that sometimes is when the pocket is there, maybe he's trying to get out a little bit too early and retreating too much. Keep on going backwards where you got to have a plan. Your guy in Buffalo, Josh Allen, always seemingly has a pa- uh, plan when he gets out of the pocket is he's attacking people. Not necessarily looking for a linebacker to hit, but looking for an avenue either the run or, as you mentioned, Brownie, look down the field and make a play down the field. So I think that's the next step in Zach's development is that continuing to get comfortable in the pocket because when he stands there in the pocket, he can make any throw. Last uh, last week against the Patriots, he had nine explosive uh, pass plays. Um, Garrett Wilson, impressive rookie, standout receiver out of Ohio State. Two games now where he's eclipsed 100 yards receiving. And what I like from the Jets and Wilson last week that we probably should be focusing a little bit more on is he got the tight ends involved. Tyler Conklin, six catches, 79 yards, two touchdowns last week. So those are two guys in the past game that I think he can depend on moving forward. But you're right. Bottom line is he's got to get better in the pocket. Um And he has to get better in making those three or four passes a game 
that are going to extend drives. Um, and he's got to set his feet. And Brownie, we've talked about it for years, mechanics and techniques and fundamentals. And that's what we see in all these young quarterbacks. It's funny. I think it was ironic that I heard Josh Allen talking about it this week. He remembers a three interception game against the New England Patriots in his second season. That kind of changed everything for him. Jets fans have to hope that's the same for Zach Wilson moving forward. Can you characterize, you know, turnovers are a crusher. Uh, Josh Allen had two of them last week in the second half against the Packers. Uh, one of them was a, an okay decision that he poorly executed, and it was the exact same decision that Zach Wilson made when he's thinking he's throwing it away, and he didn't throw away far enough or short enough, and they end up picking it off because he didn't get it away from the defender or the receiver far enough. Can you characterize Zach Wilson's interceptions for, you know, some of them are just lack of execution, other ones are bad decisions, and some are just bad throws. Yeah, that's right, Brownie. I mean, Steve, excuse me. <laughs> the bottom line is uh, you're seeing different things. Like that first interception last week against the Patriots, he's not setting his feet. He's got a running back over the middle. It's a little bit of a dump pass, and he's not setting his feet. Then you're talking about we move into the second half, and he's getting out of the pocket, and he thinks he's making a throw where he's going to, get rid of the ball out of bounds, but he keeps the ball in play. And you got the savvy vet and then Devin McCourty making a great play by the sideline. And it's an interception there in plus territory. So uh, he, he had gone the three games without an interception. So then he has three interceptions last week and people are focusing on that when he protects the football. Um, I, I think, and you see him stand in that pocket and get his feet set. He, he he can be a very good quarterback in the league. Where he gets in trouble, I think, is when he's trying to get out of the pocket and make the big play. Sometimes you got to take the boring play in this league, and that means throwing the ball to Michael Carter out of the backfield. That means hitting C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin. Uh, and I th- would anticipate the Jets are going to try to get him some easy throws this week schematically to get them in some kind of rhythm here against a very stingy Bills defense. So, Eric, how have they kind of patched the offensive line together? Because it's been one injury after another. I mean, even in training camp, they're losing guys, and it hasn't stopped. Um, You know, you already mentioned Vera Tucker, which may have been one of the more costly losses. Obviously, they've had losses at the tackle position, too. But how have they kind of tried to patch it together, and, and how has it looked knowing it's been shuffled an awful lot here through the first seven, eight games. Well, uh, Brownie and Steve, we could talk a half an hour about what the Jets have had to do at the offensive line position since the spring. Um, But just a couple things stand out here. Uh, Becton goes down in training camp. Uh, You start the season, you ultimately start, and you sign Dwayne Brown in August. You ultimately start the season with Dwayne Brown at left tackle, and George Fant at right tackle. George Fant goes down. Then you're putting in a fourth-round pick out of Louisiana in Max Mitchell at right tackle. Ultimately, you see Elijah Vera Tucker started three different positions this year, including left tackle and right tackle due to injuries. Right now, the Jets are starting Cedric Abway at right tackle. That was his first start last week for the Jets at that position, former high draft pick. Uh, They got him from Houston's practice squad. And at left tackle, you have Dwayne Brown. The hope is 
for the Jets, maybe by the next time they see the Buffalo Bills after the bye, that Max Mitchell will be back from injury, as will George Fant. Uh, Dwayne Brown's kind of solidified the position at left tackle right now, but it will be interesting to see when you get those two guys back. But as far as this week is concerned, it's a way making a second start for the Jets at right tackle and then Dwayne Brown at left tackle. Uh, and we, sh- I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the guard position because the Jets signed Lake and Tomlinson free agency. Uh, he's been there at left guard throughout. But Nate Herbig's been forced to play right guard because you've had so much shuffling everywhere else. He's a mauler. He's a guy who gets after you in the run game. The Jets are quite happy where he's at so far this season. So there's no question, at least from from where we sit outside the Jets organization, out here in western New York, we're looking at the Jets thinking they've got Robert Sala and they are playing hard for the guy that seems to be the consensus is he is the right guy for the Jets going forward. Joe Douglas, we uh, all of this stuff. What's the next step? I know they made the trade at the deadline for uh, James Robinson, uh, and they are the five seed right now at the ha- almost the halfway point of the season. They've got to feel really good about the direction of the franchise and maybe and their ability to kind of stay in it for the remainder of this season and give themselves a chance this year even. But totally, Steve. Uh, this team was 4-13 and 13 last year. So they've already eclipsed last year's win total. They're sitting there at 5-3. and three. Now, they totally feel like they let one slip away against the Patriots last week. They had a pick six at the end of the half that came back because of roughing the passer penalty. If that pick six stays on the board, it's 17 to three, and it might be a runaway. And we might be talking about a showdown at MetLife Stadium for first place in the AFC East. With that being said, this is a critical stretch here as far as the schedule is concerned. The Jets said they had to close the gap inside the AFC East. Well, they beat the Dolphins at home. They lost to the Patriots at home. Now they have the Bills at home. After the bye, you have to face all your division teams on the road. If you look at the schedule, though, there is a path for this team, certainly to get to 10 wins. They are definitely on the right course here with Robert Sala and Joe Douglas the last two drafts you think about this year's draft class not only do you get Brees Hall Sauce Gardner Garrett Wilson I mentioned Max Mitchell before who you didn't think was going to be a starter for you this year but a fourth round pick comes in and he's playing for you as well Michael Clemens has played well for this team uh, joining that defensive line rotation this defense is set up to be good not only for the stretch run, but for a long time, because we talk about levels and Quinton Williams and Carl Lawson on the outside and what they're doing at the cornerback position. So they have that set. Then offensively, you are young at all these positions. Brees Hall comes back next year. You say, think about the focus uh, this year with Robinson and Michael Carter in the tight ends. Now what's going to be very interesting for the Jets moving forward is the wide receiver position. Hopefully you get Corey Davis back soon. If it's not this week, you get him back after the bye. And how are they going to work in Elijah Moore, who only got 10 snaps last week, wasn't traded. The Jets need him to make plays along with Garrett Wilson and Davis. But, yeah, the Jets should be in this race down the stretch. Joe Douglas said at the league meetings that we should be playing meaningful games in December. Well, they're 5-3 and right now. Um, and November has just started. They will be playing meaningful games in December, and I can't imagine where they're not in that playoff hunt when we're getting to 
week 17, week 18 of the season. Thanks for bringing us up to speed, Eric. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you this weekend. Thanks, fellas. Great seeing you guys. All right, that's uh, Jets insider Eric Allen from NewYorkJets.com. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. He's at the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown, Snapdragon Apples. This Bills season, head to your local Wegmans to experience the epic flavor and monster crunch of Snapdragon Apples, the official apples of your Buffalo Bills. How about them apples? Um, cool. I've been waiting for you to do that read. You've been waiting I for like, that? The other I'm one's good, too. Glad I, like I could this, oblige. I like this one better. Good to talk to Eric Allen. Steve, I know you are a firm believer that this game may be a little closer than some are expecting. People are expecting the Jets of old. The Jets have a legitimate top 10 defense, and they are good from front to back. And as we mentioned with Eric, they've done a little bit of copycatting of the Bills model on defense. They have veteran safeties in the middle of their secondary. They have top-flight cornerback uh, talent. Their linebackers are playmakers. And they roll eight guys through on the defensive line. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yep. That it's the way to do things. You got to get fresh. When the game's on the line, late in the game, if it's a close game, you need fresh guys. The offensive line don't rotate through. Those guys are beat down, and the pressure comes from fresh legs. And it's hard to. You can't have eight elite pass rushers, of course, but a good pass rusher becomes really good when the other guy's tired. And in the fourth quarter, you'd be able to get eight guys through there with some fresh legs and, and make, hey, that's it's, it's, a great, it's a great philosophy. It works well, has worked well for the Buffalo Bills. And the, and the New York Jets have talent over there as well as the great philosophy of rolling guys through. So, yeah, I think it's going to be harder to score points on this team than we may anticipate, and I think it's going to be a closer game because of it. Yeah, there's a part of me that – wonders if maybe in the early going the Jets make it a little difficult or maybe more difficult than anticipated for Buffalo's offense. But then I I think the way that Ken Dorsey and his offensive staff are able to adjust in-game will kind of give the answers to Josh Allen and company, and then suddenly I think some points will get piled on the Jets a little bit, maybe not to the degree that we've seen in some other games, but certainly enough to win the football game, if you know what I'm saying. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the Bills are, are better than the Jets, top to bottom, and they've executed better. Certainly they're better at quarterback. Um, I think the one question is, can the Jets score points on our defense? I think yeah. the Bills' defense is statistically better than the Jet defense. And that may be the difference. But I don't think I think this is going to be a hard game for the Bills to run off and leave the Jets' offense. Um, turnovers are always a problem. The Bills turn it over a little too much, and the Jets they lose games when they turn it over. You heard Eric yeah. Allen say that in the interview. So, uh, you know, turnovers you take those out as the unpredictable, which I can't, it kind of is. I, I think this will be a game that will be uncomfortable for the Bills fans yeah. to watch. Practice is over here on Thursday on the practice field here at One Bills Drive. And we've got our cameras in the Bills locker room post-practice. And we thought you might want to hear from this guy. Back with the Bills after the deal at the trade deadline with the Atlanta Falcons. 
Here is former and then again current Bill Safety, Dean Marlowe. Like, what were the emotions? How is it, you know, old memories coming oh, back? Yeah, 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 I was here for four years, so um, definitely it is a piece of my heart, uh, bleeds red and blue. Uh, so, you know, I was, I was, I was stoked. I was pumped. Um, I know probably 8% of the team is probably the same since I left in 2020. So, you know, I was happy to join, join the squad. With injuries to Mike and Jordan, you know, you should be a believer in yourself no matter what. Um, and, you know, McDermott's been a part of my career uh, forever. Uh, the last two year and a half, he hasn't. Uh, so for me to come back and he, him and being to believe in me to uh, come here and help us win games, uh, it's the best thing. What do you think is the biggest way you've grown as a football player during your time away from here? Oh, just experience. Um, learning from Mike and Poe um, since I've been here. And, you know, even when I was with McDermott and being in Carolina, I had, you know, vets uh, like Charles Tillman, uh, Josh Norman, Kurt Coleman, Roman Harper. Uh, so everywhere I've been, you know, I was surrounded by great vets. Uh, and then, you know, I'm now year eight. So now I'm kind of that guy who's, you know, playing that role. Um, and, you know, I just continue to go up from here. What feels different? I know it's only been a couple of days, but since you got back, is there anything that feels different about this team, the soccer room? Uh, not really. I mean, I just look at a, a lot of familiar faces. Um, you know, I meet the new guys, and, you know, it's all about the people. You know, they, they've brought in great people. Uh, they know what the culture is here. They're embracing it and, uh, you know, trying to win games. Defensive that. group as a whole just looks different. I mean, top to bottom, what do you think about that room, about the DBs that are here? Uh, young, starting with the young dudes, um, I think that, you know, they're, they're like sponges. You know, they're asking a lot of questions, which is good for young, for young guys. Um, and for the most part, uh, you know, we still got Mike and Poe there in meetings, um, you know, helping out the young guys. Um, and then me and a couple of, you know, middle-aged guys who were here when I was here in 19 and 20, like Jaquan and Taryn and Saran and, you know, it's just still still play jokes, uh, still have fun. And, you know, we still got John Butler as the coach um, here, too. So, it's you know, it's surreal. It's fun. And, it's you know, it's a great time. Was your locker here last time? Or? I'm still in the same area. I was okay. over there, though. <laughs> um, but they gave me some more space. They just said, hey, we'll, we'll open you up to, to an empty locker so you can get some more space. Can you touch on the emotion you and your family experienced returning to Buffalo? We saw the oh, man, yeah. Yeah, my my wife, she's like, she's like, hey, I, w I want to post something real and authentic and vulnerable because usually, you know, social media is just everybody wants to see the good things. And she wanted to just show the fans and she wanted to show, you know, that this organization means a lot to her uh, and our family. Um, and sure, you know, it means a lot to me as well. Did you talk to Jordan or Shaq about this kind of the same, go away for a bit, come back, just what that journey was Yeah, like? I took a year and a half vacation. Uh, that's how we look at it. Um, and, you know, I'm appreciative of the other places that I've been. Um, I was able to grow and learn. Um, and now coming back here is just so awesome. What's the biggest thing, like, being away from it? Obviously, the good stops for you in Detroit and Atlanta. But what, what's, what's different elsewhere? Uh, man, the, the, the culture and uh, the foundation that's been built here. I mean, I was, I was here when, you know, they were building this whole thing. Um, and just to see where it was in 2017 to now, um, you know, they're Sean and and Brandon did everything right, um, and they're continuing to do everything right. Uh, other places, you know, there's everyone has their own mojo, what they want to do, and, and things like that. But uh, for the most part, um, you know, everybody respects the Buffalo Bills around the league. Um, whether, you know, what, what, t what team you're on, they're going to say, hey, when Buffalo's playing, that's a real deal team. 
I know you're Detroit, Atlanta. You're focusing on what you're doing with Sunday with them. But in the background, were you ever keeping tabs and just watching oh, man. the culture build here? Oh, man. Every, I, I was talking to Jordan about that out in practice today. I was like, hey, if they played a 425 or 820 game when our game was over, my boy was on the couch watching the Bills, like, look at my boys ball out. How common is that for guys who are on new teams to still keep track of an old team? Or is that, is that I, normal or a testament to something here? I don't know, but every team that I was on, I told them, I said, hey, I'm, I'm going back. I'm, I'm going to the couch to go watch the Bills, man. I'm, I'm watching the game tonight. They're like, oh, yeah, you were there. You were. I said, yeah. It's just, once, you, once you become a Bill, you're always a Bill. That's, and that's one thing that Bill's mafia always talks about. Like, you know, they respect you and show the love. And, you know, once you've played here for a while, you know, they embrace you as you embrace the city as well. And you're forever a Bill. Did your teammates on the other teams think that was funny, or like, what was their take? Of- they, they would. Hey, I mean, they're like Buffalo's rolling now. Yeah. Buffalo's rolling, and I'm like, you just got to be there. You really can't explain it. You just gotta, you gotta be a part of it. Mike has said he bet everything that he has on Trey coming back and being better than he was before. And then Trey said when he saw you, like, it just gave him a whole another level of excitement. Oh yeah. I mean, what do you expect from Trey? When he's, he's probably said, "Damn, my dog, being back," maybe 25 times and. A day and a half so far. Um, and he says, I'm going to say it every day until the season's over. Because he's like, man, you just bring some extra juice and energy for me. He's like, we literally got, what, I mean, six dudes, seven dudes that were, you know, together since 2019, back on the same team again now in 2022. So he pretty pumped about it. How much has Sean changed since he was here? Sean's always been a, uh, a cool smart, intelligent, uh, poised coach. Um, and, you know, when he was a D.C. in Carolina, he was, he, he was awesome dudes. He was awesome dudes, um, as he should, you know. Um, and that's what's gotten him to where he is today. Um, and for, you know, for him to, to see him now, um, he's just so calm and collective, and he still takes that same approach every day that I see. Um, but he does it more in a, a controlled way, as you as you would see. Um, so, you know, being a head man now and, you know, knowing that you've created this foundation and things are rolling and growing here how you want it to and the ultimate goal is, you know, to continue to win games, make playoffs, you know, going to run like that. And, you know, we, we take that every day as, you know, the, the playoff caliber mindset. All right, Dean Marlowe, back with the Bills and ready to roll. And, Steve, is it, I mean, you tell me, is it like riding a bike you think for a guy that spent four years in this system he was on the practice squad his first year here and then on the roster the next three years he's away for two years and about a year and a half actually and now comes back obviously there are some details of this defense that have changed since he was last here but is it like riding a bike like you hear people say when they try go back to something they're familiar with a little bit a little bit. Um, yeah, a little bit. It's it's not that easy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, well, that's why I'm asking. It's not that easy. Certainly, he has to forget some of the things he's been learned, the two defenses he's learned in the interim between his stints here in Buffalo, and also get used to it's, – it's like – yeah, it's like learning – it's like riding a bike, but it's like riding a very – a vastly different bike. Okay. Uh, yeah, the basics are the same. You get on and you pedal it and you, and you keep it rolling so you can stay balanced but everything's different. It feels different. It feels a little bit strange to begin with. The you know, the guys around him are different for sure. Yeah. Uh so yeah, it's a little different. Um it's still playing football. 
So there's a lot of basic stuff that's there, but um, certainly he's going to have to make sure. I think one of the things is he'll feel at times like he says, oh, yeah, okay, now I got this. And then there'll be something, some wrinkle or some nuance that they have changed or has evolved since he left that he's going to miss. Yeah. And you got to be on top of that. That's, and it's the little things sometimes that get you. So uh, you might get away with a lot of that stuff that he might not be aware of yet. But there's always a chance, too, that it could bite you, and you try and yeah. fight against that. I just think if Poyer, who, at least during the media viewing portion of practice, was not practicing again today, if he doesn't make it, Marlowe's up this week because you need four, four safeties entering a game, conceivably, and he can play a role yeah. on special teams. But you're looking at Hamlin and Johnson starting, presumably, if Poyer can't go. And then you have Cam Lewis Cam and Dean Marlowe as your backups. And Marlowe and, and Saran Neal. Right. Um, Although Saran's played more corner really recently right. than safety. Right. But still, you got bodies to put out there. Um, I would not be surprised if Mar- Marlowe is going to, I would say he probably is active this week um, because of his experience for yeah. sure. And absolutely, I don't know if he'll get, he may, listen, if this game goes Pittsburgh Steelers for the Bills, yeah, you get him some reps. Well, you, know, you get it, you, yeah. you plug him in, let him get some, get some reps and feel his way around out there you know uh, that would be huge but you, like I said I don't think this game's going to get to that yeah uh, but if he's up and active he's going to be on the field in some capacity whether it's special teams or otherwise yeah you can't let a guy just hang out right that, that applies to Trey White too mm-hmm. let's go to the phones take a quick phone call from Lou in Rochester what do you got for us Lou hey how you guys doing good I've been Bill since the '64. That's great. And I, I just, uh, I, I'm gonna go with the kid, uh, the new um, kid they got from Colts. I think he's gonna, he's gonna make a big play in this game someday. Oh, all right. I'd be I, happy to see it. And, and I have, I had one question for you guys. It's sure. Kind of like uh, off topic a little bit, but I often wondered uh, how they, who, and how did they select what uniforms they're wearing for the game. There seems to be no rhyme or reason, but well, I'll hang the, up and listen to this Yeah, call. I mean, is it, and thanks for the call, Lou. As I understand thanks, it, the home team decides what they are wearing for the game, and then the visiting team has to pivot off of that. So if the Jets, for example, decide they're wearing green jerseys and white pants, then the Bills have to wear white jerseys. Uh, they have to pivot off of what the home team decides they're wearing. I think what – I think what Lou's asking, though, is how if the Bills are playing at home, how do they decide whether it's blue jerseys, white pants, or blue jerseys, blue pants, and on the road, is it blue pants? You know, the combination. Or all whites. There, yeah. yeah. I mean, how, is it all white or is it white over blue? Is it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that is totally, I think, an organizational decision. Right. Once you go, you're the away team and they're going to make you wear white. You either go all white, and you can go white with blue pants in Bill's case. And yeah. I don't know if there might be – I don't think I'm forgetting about any other combination. No. Yeah. Unless so, they're wearing their color yeah, jerseys, and, the red ones. Right. Um, now, they could go – they could mix it up a little bit. Like, they could go you – know, change the socks up, like blue or red socks. But I think that's, I think that's an organizational decision. And I couldn't tell yeah. you whether it's, it's Sean or – Maybe he goes to the captains. Or yeah, maybe I think the sometimes the players get to weigh in on that because I know they, they like the blue on blue. Yes. So, and I like the white on white in the in the on the aways too. Oh yeah, they look sharp. That's but that that you're right is an indiv- the players can decide. 
I think. They get a voice. Yeah. But, but home it, team decides first. Right. The that's home the, team, that's the like, so for instance, the Cowboys always wear white at home. So you get to wear your yeah. home jerseys on the road so you get to decide. Break time for us. Steve and I close it up next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, we're back here on One Bills Live. One final segment to go here on a Thursday. And we await the updated injury report as we're seeing how close Spencer Brown will get to returning to the lineup. If he can't, it's not a huge deal because David Questenberry is a nice swing tackle to have at your disposal. Jordan Poyer is a big question mark, though, as is Matt Milano. Neither of those guys participated yesterday. Both of them, well... We saw Milano working on the side today, so that one looks like it's going to be pushed all the way up to the end of the week. Yeah, that that's a big question mark. Spencer Brown, ankle, uh, you know, offensive lineman. He might be probably stereotypically would be back closer to being back than Milano was. The the oblique muscle is kind of, yeah, your your core muscles are pretty important. We'll see. It's yeah, a lot, lot of it's still. It's only a few days, but still a lot of time for these guys to make different decisions and make some progress and be available we'll see yeah Spencer Brown I think probably is the guy I would think would be closer to being ready 100 percent big Friday show tomorrow as we will have Greg Cosell from NFL Films but we're also going to be joined by one Micah Hyde who makes his debut in studio here on the show we'll see you tomorrow at one